What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to Nightmare Success In and Out Podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares to set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys and girls I was in Leavenworth with and others who served at other, at other prisons. We're going to be talking about life before prison, life in prison, and life out of prison. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that will help you knock down some of the prisons you've built up in your own mind. So I said girls because this is the second girl that I have had on. You wouldn't know because somebody, some people refer to her as Sam. Samantha Lander, welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So we were just catching up before we got on here. You have lived a, a journey of a life, haven't you? A little bit, I would say. So your thing all happened in L.A. and, and things got crazy, but I want to take it like a step back because it sounds like that you were you grew up in St. Louis and Clayton. Am I right about that? Yep, you are correct. Tell me, what was life like for little Sam back then? <laughs> little Sam. Um I well, I grew up in Webster actually, and um, love Webster Groves. We were have, we lived there for yeah. six years. Yeah, I'm back here now, so that's where I live now. So I and then we eventually moved to Clayton. Um, my life was pretty. I I don't really have any. My mom loves to like really be like, well, what did I do wrong? All that stuff. But like really, you know, I mean, I definitely have some some family stuff, but like nothing to the degree of where I should have like the trauma where I'm going to go use drugs and sell drugs and be totally out of control. That's really my own decision. I had a really good, I had a pretty good childhood growing up. I had, you know, all the things I, I wanted and needed, um, probably more than most. Um, you know, my dad was a, a successful doctor and my mom was a teacher and artist. She eventually was a stay at home mom. She's still an artist. She's always, she does very kind of like off, off the beaten path art. Okay. So She's not worried so much about selling it, which is great, but she, you know, she does her thing and raised us, which raising kids, I can't even imagine like just doing that as a sole job. I mean, I'm kind of doing that, but it's really hard for me. I'd rather work. And, you know, life was good. Um, Siblings? You know, I, yeah, I have a brother. I have okay. an older brother, uh, three years older than me. Okay. So I, I had that. I had cousins that were around, a lot of friends. High school wasn't probably the easiest. Middle school and high school were challenging for me. Um, maybe I, I, I might have made it that way. I don't know. I, I was always friends with everyone. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really have a niche. Like kind I didn't of a pleaser? Have, were you like a pleaser friend? Yeah, doing no, everything for everybody? Was, oh, no, no. Not <laughs> that. Not, not that at all. I was like the entertainment friend, but I was friends with like, I remember there were the skaters and then like the preppy people. And then, and I just was friends with everyone. Like cause in my neighborhood, um, I, I'm over by, so there's, oh, I don't even know, different districts, school districts. So I was kind of in the neighborhood where it was a lower income and a little like grittier kind of families. And that's kind of where we were, the friends that I had there. And then I was friends with like some of the preppier people as I went into Clayton because you know, my brother was in Clayton and I was friends with his friend's younger kid, 
siblings. It's just kind of, it's kind of. Well, for any of those that don't know that are not in the St. Louis area, Clayton is, is a very nice, uh, well, I think one of the best public school districts, school. public school districts in the state of Missouri. So it's, it's, it's looked upon highly. And I, did you play sports? Cause you I know you're into all kinds of I fitness. I did. I, I, um, did synchronized swimming for about seven years. That looks impossible, <laughs> by the way. Under, underwater basket weaving. You know, I did synchronized swimming for seven years. And then eventually, so swimming, I was a swimmer. Um, in high school, I swam. I played water polo. And eventually, I just, I got so burnt out with swimming, I, I started rowing. Uh, I did a year of field hockey, but I got mono. And that's how I got into rowing. So I had to play like a no contact sport. And then rowing was sort of my, my thing. I was the number one rower in the U.S. Um, for the varsity crew. My, I think, wow, wow. Year. Back up on that. What was that? Yeah, I was a state swimmer. So, yeah. Wow. Did it all. Yeah. So did, did you do that? Did you continue to do that when you went to Michigan for college? <laughs> well, I, yeah. So then I went to the University of Michigan, and I, I didn't get a scholarship, but that's when the women's team was just um, Division One. Okay. So – it went from club to division one. So I, uh, you know, I lived in Michigan. It was cold as all hell and getting up at 5am to go row. Like it just, no, it didn't last very long. I made it a couple of months and then I was a coxswain for the men's team. And then, you know, it got where like, you need to make weight. You need to lose, like this, this, this. And I was just, you know, putting on my freshman 15 and dating a football player. It just did not it didn't seem like, like a football, thing. <laughs> eating like a football player. It just didn't really go well. So I just, and I was so fried by then. I mean, I, it, it's like a cult. All I did, you know, growing up, it was, it was hard. It was a hardcore sport for someone who was in high school. I mean, two a days all the time. And so I basically quit that and just didn't really do anything athletic till probably, you know, late junior year. Which, oh, that was that. So did drug wise, I'm sure by being in the sports that you run, you probably didn't have time for that because you were busy doing what you were doing or did you just do everything? I do. We can make time for anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When I was like really, really, really into rowing. um, So in high school, my freshman year, I was out of control and probably eighth grade. I mean, eighth grade, I got caught smoking pot on our, school field trip for graduation at Six Flags. So that was kind of like the first. That was big news, right. And then when I freshman year, I just was like out of control. I was running. Like what were your parents' reaction to the Six Flags thing? Like, was that a big deal? Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. I mean, at that point, my brother was a little bit out of, he was pretty wild too. So I was kind of, in my mind, I, I don't want to speak for him, but I thought he was kind of wild. I, I looked up to him big time. I did. I want to do what he did. So mm-hmm. I would hear the rumors of things he was doing, whether he was or not. That's his story. But I would try to do them or I would do them or I always, all my friends were all older. And so mm-hmm. that definitely was a disconnect too. It was like my friend group as in my class. So all my friends were older. Um, I've always hung out with older people. And I mean, I was, you know, I probably was drinking in seventh grade, smoking pot in eighth grade. And then, you know, eighth grade, when that happened, my mom read my diary. She was so worried about me. And so that created a massive conflict in our relationship for probably 20 years. Like, like really, really bad. I felt like she always wanted me to journal and write things down. And she like, it's like you're reading someone's mind. It's like, it's it's like, I don't know. I was, it's pretty messed up. 
And that caused a lot of problems. I'm, I'll never forget that day. I was such an ass. I'm, I, she came to my door in my room and I just told her she was like the scum on my bottom of my toilet. I think I spit on her. <laughs> and then I ran away. Um, we you ran away. You actually ran uh, yeah. Uh, down yeah, the street. Yeah, yeah, to the friend's house. Yeah. Eventually, my aunt's house. Right. But I mean, I, you know, we were in there. I was in therapy with them. I eventually, I got, I was getting breathalyzed. I was getting drug tested. My brother and I both. Um, what, my, were, what were you thinking, though, Sam, as all that was happening? Were you thinking, oh, my God, my parents are crazy? Or were you thinking, oh, my God, do I have an issue? Um, I... I was thinking I want to live life to the fullest and yeah. that's what that meant. <laughs> yeah. Which now I'm like, well, going and traveling and going and trying new experiences, living life to the fullest, not getting fucked up. Right. Um, you know, I have that addict mentality. It's in me and I, that's what you do. And, you know, I, but I had a balance. I, after my freshman year um, of basically being a total delinquent and then getting, and then I was basically grounded for life. Like, I had nothing. I had no car. Everything had been taken away. My parents had a rule book that was like, basically first, like you slam the door, first offense, this happened. Second offense. Like it literally said first offense. Very like, structured. Like I was, it was like, I was already had a little pre, like a pre, pre, you know, pre yeah. It helped me a little bit. And I'm good with structure though, but I was, I was home every weekend with them and they controlled everything. And I kind of, I think I just kind of gave it up. It was exhausting. I did my craziness and, Prove to myself that I could be crazy. I don't know, and I um and I love fun. So it's kind of like I'm a I'm a fun addict. I'm a you name it, and I just kind of gave it up to them. And that's when I got really into rowing. And I I think I stopped. I think at that point I kind of cut back on everything. I drink like a normal teenager would on the weekends. Um, but in my grades, I went from a two three, and I think I graduated with a four zero and got into Michigan. So wow. I don't. I don't really know how that happens, but, but I did it. Um, well, I think it's kind of to your personality though, from what you're saying, you get, you get addicted or obsessed and you generate all your energy towards that. That sounds like probably what you did. You just all of a sudden said, okay, I'm going to lock in here. And all of a sudden you yeah. had these great grades. Yeah. And I kind of like, I'm one of those, like if I have this idea or this vision or this is what it's going to be, it, it's going to be like, I remember. That's not a bad like, thing though, Sam. No, I mean, it's just how you direct uh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they say like the visualization and all that stuff, but I, I'll never forget. Like, I moved to LA, and my job kind of felt that's where it fell through. And I was kind of in the in the gay scene, hanging out with a lot of gay men, and I was going to these circuit parties with all these DJs, and I just like loved it. And I was like, I'm going to be a DJ. I want to be a DJ. And I had been promoting a vodka with like some of some of the top DJs in the world, and I had been meeting all them when I was in Michigan. And so I is that was that your connection to get out to LA, or did you have friends out yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, the, the, the vodka thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it kind of all just worked out. I, I, my junior year of uh, college, I started visiting a friend of mine out there, and that's where I met all these gay guys, and they were very safe. I just got on a really hard breakup, and I, that's kind of where I got into like the hard drugs because I was actually, I, you know, I, I don't think I was doing any drugs, and I was sober. I, I mean, I wouldn't say I like knew I was sober, but I just kind of stopped everything. I think I smoked pot and I was teaching spinning and I was like, really got back into like athletics and working out after my sophomore year of, of college. 
So I kind of, I started this thing out there and then I was uh, a nanny. I had like a million jobs at this point. I was such a hustler. I made so much money in college. Like I somehow got connected with like all the, all the Michigan football coaches. Like I was babysitting all our kids, housing their houses. I was a dog walker. I was like, you name it. I was doing, I worked at like the, the Michigan union and I did like catering. I worked at a coffee center. Wow. Crazy. Oh yeah. I loved it. You were college rich. Yeah, I was. And I, um, you know, and you don't have to claim any of it. And so I was, um, I mean, I claim the stuff I was supposed to, I should be say Right, of course. <laughs> I guess I did my time for that, right? Yeah, you did. Um, but I was house sitting for, or a nanny for a, a guy who owned this brewery called Local Color, and he made the first micro-distilled vodka made in the U.S. It was the first flavored one before Absolute. So if this had happened, I would be like, oh, that's yeah. for life. But the consumption and getting the bottles from China, so it was like I it blew up. I did I was like on it, and this guy was just kind of like a rich kid who hit it home or had daddy. You know, his dad invented Cascade bleach or something like that. So he didn't really. He just sort of had ideas and did it. But um, so it was huge in Michigan, and then I was supposed to move out to LA and work with the distributor to do that. I also have a family friend from Clayton who house I was gonna house it when I moved out there so I had living for free I mean I was living in Hollywood Hills um because she was this actress that was off to filming the L word and so I had like this push deal and I got out there and then the liquor deal fell through and then that is when I bought the turntables and was like that's where I had the vision I was Mm -hmm. well it's a little bit before that but I was like I'm gonna do this I'm gonna be successful and I'm gonna be one of the top female DJs in the town like that's what's gonna happen I could like see myself on the stage in front of thousands of people. And I'm like, I'm doing this. And, and, and you knew thought, other people that were doing it. So it wasn't like it was. Kinda, yeah. But these were like, I was just promoting them at, at like bars and stuff right. in Michigan. Right. But otherwise I knew a few people not, I didn't know like the big, like the big ones. Yeah. And I just got a job at this, an internship at Moonshine Records. which was like, this is exact the record label that I wanted to get in on with the DJs that I love. And I met a ton of people and I started to learn how to produce music and just practice, practice, practice. And I, next thing you know, I'm playing at like the top clubs and, That's um, there were a lot cool, of, you know, Sam. yeah, yeah. So, and, but in the midst of it, I was also like full blown in the drug scene. So like yeah. I'm living out there. So I moved up, I started selling drugs my junior year in college. Um, and I would like bring them back from LA or get them shipped from LA. And then I would sell it to everybody. You know, I was living with 11 guys at the time. I wouldn't necessarily say that I was selling it all to them, but that's a lot my, of guys, Sam. <laughs> 11 cocks in a box. Was <laughs> that's, a lot, that's a lot of guys. <laughs> it was a total. That's all, we don't have time for, to go through all that. 11 hey, guys. I, no, I did not hook up with one of them. I will say that. I'm very proud. Yeah, it was a lot of dudes. But it was actually, I lived with 14 girls my sophomore year, and that was even worse. I bet. Oh, the guys were great. Yeah. I'm great with guys. It was <laughs> the best year of my life. Um, so, yeah, so then I end up in L.A. So, and- wait, I want to know how, so when you got into this and things started taking off for you with the DJing, was it just because it was so easy that the drugs you were in the clubs, I mean, was it just because it was just part of the scene that it just became easy? Did you get so the easy connects and then you had the drugs and everybody likes you because you have the drugs or what, how did that all happen? So I kept it separate. Okay. 
So like if I so if I went to like the gay clubs or whatever, like they everyone knew they could get something from me or whatever like that. Like I kind of did like I sold the little like little baggies of things and all the like oh here's four pills and here's that. But it was like exhausting and then you're paranoid and then you got to deal with like people come to your house all the time and that makes you more paranoid and you're just like, uh, you know, the traffic. And um, so that's kind of like, and I was friend, my one of my best friend was a drug dealer. So nobody really knew that that was kind of my thing. It was sort of like, um, that's my best friend. So yeah. I can get it from her. Right. Um, and then, you know, eventually, so the DJing, I actually started playing my bigger gigs in the straight scene. And none of them really knew that I, they knew, I, no, no one knew I was selling drugs like in the straight scene. In the gay scene, everyone knew they could get whatever from me. But I wasn't DJing at that time in the straight scene. And then eventually after just the wear and tear of all that, I just basically had about seven people that I sold mass quantities to and that was all I did. So I just like narrowed it down. That was it. I didn't deal with like if my friends wanted something, I literally would just give it to them. I mean, I had it just was there was so much. Yeah, um, it didn't matter. So that's kind so of, was it. Was so it wasn't really. I mean, because I'm I, I'm assuming you were probably making pretty good money doing the DJing. I mean, if you were getting into the yeah, bigger clubs. Right yeah. Oh yeah. So was the drug part of it more of because you knew somebody that was a best friend and was there like a. a did you feel like no, you were trying to, trying to get out of it? Was it an adrenaline rush? And like, what, what was the... No, so I started, so my drug of choice, so I, I was never like a very good drinker um, per se, so I didn't drink at all. And in the gay scene, GHB is a, a big drug there. So it was like you could get drunk, not deal with all the bullshit that goes with drinking and needing something to be awake or not, whatever it was. And so I kind of got into that and I was like, this is like the perfect drug for me. And then one day, um, so, I mean, that's kind of what I did. And then I remember it was a long weekend. I'd gone to visit my friend. I hadn't moved out there yet. And I had tried meth for the first time. Um, and it was sort of like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to feel like. It was kind of weird. I mean, I was wide awake for days, so that was not the good part. But I was something about it was like, I can like, I could like think. It was really... Uh, strange. I didn't get like that super high that people talk about. Nothing like that. I actually ended up ODing that that weekend. Wow. Uh, yeah. Did that scare so, you? I mean, what was going through your oh, mind yeah. on that? Um. Well, I was dead almost pretty yeah. much. But when I woke up, I yeah, I had no idea where I was. Um. And my friend, like, I had like just like my green like. It was crazy. I don't know, green. Apparently, I was like foaming at the mouth, and they were trying to resuscitate me. I had like massive bruises on my chest. So I woke up, and I basically I got out. My flight was like that afternoon or like the next morning. Do your parents and, know about this when this happened? Yeah, I ended up telling them that I got roofied. Okay. At a party. Okay. I did not. Well, they didn't know. Now they know, but right. they didn't know then. I told them, you know, I'm bullshit. You know. Probably thought it would have scared to death without them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we even sent, like, a, a thank you basket to my friends for taking me to the hospital, which is, like, now I'm, like, what the fuck who does that, like, in the drug scene? Like, yeah. I was so, like, innocent. And I, um, you know, that was the first time I tried my but then that was my drug of choice, like, down the road. And I pretty much I was self-medicating for ADD or ADHD. I mean, I've been prescribed all the drugs, never took them, hate the way they made me feel, but this one worked. <laughs> so you're saying it actually slowed you down and didn't speed you up. Yeah, I mean, okay. I was able to write twenty-page papers and get like a honors on it or yeah. an A on it. Like yeah. I just could, like, I was able to 
freaking like process my thoughts and not be like all over. Mm, that's interesting. And the, because a lot of people that talk about meth is that they take one puff of it and they're totally addicted and they lose themselves and go insane. You, you were actually functioning and except for the fact that you almost died and OD'd on the first time you well, took it. Yeah. I think that was just not, I hadn't slept in three days and I did too much. Who knows yeah. what that was. But yeah. People don't really, I, I don't know a lot of people once they blow themselves up that die from meth, maybe if they shoot it up. But I, I don't feel like you hear as many of that stories like that as far as that drug, at least that I know of. I know a lot of people died of heroin. I mean, I, I have like four people that you hear or, or in the past six months yeah. that I'm close with that have died. So, um, GHB, I mean, possibly, but, um, I don't know. It's just different. I never shot it up. I don't know. I, it was basically self-medicating and I mean, it made me numb and I lost my personality and I, it just, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. It just and that was, that so, was it. So Sam, tell me because you, you got into all this and then you kind of drifted into this thing where you think you're kind of self-medicating. Is that the time when, when you get hit with the, no, that was, well, I didn't, I don't think I really realized what was happening until, like I got sober and I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is what was happening. You know, I, I, you, you feel like, I remember it was like, if I mess, if I fuck up any responsibilities, that's when I'm going to quit. Well, my, I'm taking care of myself. Right. So my idea of responsibilities is like, I, I don't even know what they were. Honestly, like I paid my bills. I yeah. did everything a human should do. I kind of had a job. Like, yeah. you know, I felt like I'm being a decent human, but really it's like, I'm selling drugs. I don't know where those drugs are at that point. When you're selling that much, you don't know where it's going. You don't know who it's killing. You don't know who, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I, you don't think about the, the, the consequences of what my one action could do to like, I take a little step back. Like that could be my kid. And when he's in high school doing sure. these drugs. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of when you start to like, and that was at rehab, you know, you learn more about all the consequences, things like that. And I think, when I got sober, that was, it was, I remember I tried to quit a lot. There were a lot of times I tried to quit and it just, I couldn't like, I, it just, I wasn't ready, I guess. I don't know. And I remember one day a DJ friend of mine was like, literally like walk, like they think like, like literally like looking on the floor for drugs in my apartment. And I'm like, he's like, he's like, looked at me and he goes, I'm a drug addict. Like mm. I, I'm a, I'm a fucking drug addict. Like, I, you know, this is what I do. And I was like, you're a drug addict. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I can't put like that label, that name. I'm like, well, drug addicts like live out of the car or homeless or they don't, you know, they're all messed up. They can't pay. Like I did not have any idea that I was a drug addict. Right. Like, you didn't think of it labeled that way. Right. No. And then, you know, I mean, when I ended up like quitting and checking myself into rehab, that's when I realized like. Was that all on you, happen. Sam? Did you decide that on your own that you were going to go check yourself into rehab? Well, I had my dog. <laughs> I looked yeah. at my dog and I basically was like, I, I was like, what should I do? I think it's time. Like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, I, I knew it was like, I, every day I'd say, okay, I, I, when I'm sick and tired, I'll be sick and tired and this will change. Until then, I just got to fucking stay alive. Yeah. And, and that's all I did. I was on pure survival mode. I knew. And I knew, you know, okay, not all drug addicts live out of a car. Everybody's rock bottom is different. Yeah. So my rock bottom, I had money. I was paying my bills. I was DJing like huge, huge gigs. I was one of the top female DJs. Like, 
No, I think that's a good, I think that's a good tip, Sam, for anybody who's listening. Everybody's rock bottom is different and trying to fit your rock bottom into somebody else's box of what their rock bottom is. You could have a totally different experience, but be at your rock bottom and then figure out how you're going to get out of that. Trying to, trying to make it fit somebody else's isn't probably a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I was in a really toxic relationship. Like, I mean, if you meet me now, you would know that like, there's no way I would be in an abusive relationship, but I was literally tied down in this abusive relationship where, you know, if I tried to like hold my ground, the guy, the guy would literally start screaming. I was a drug dealer or something outside the window. He's nuts. And I mean, I remember like there were times when he would, I came home and he had tied my dog up. He would try to steal my dog to try to get me to like come back to him. He would steal my computer. Um, it was, it was, so I was also like walking on eggshells and like, super, I was just stuck. And I just had to grow some fucking balls one day and was like, I'm done. I was so scared that he would take my dog when I went to rehab. So I found someone who would take my dog. Um, and, and my how dog, long, was how long did you do the rehab? 30 days. Yeah. And then I, 30 days. Um, and then I don't, I did not do, I did just meetings. I think after that, I don't think I didn't do any like aftercare with that until I moved home back to St. Louis. I think I did a little bit here. Um, but I mean, I was so ready. I checked myself in. I was, thank God. I was probably worn out. I was done. I not even thought about doing meth since or any of that. I mean, I was doing a lot of club drugs, a lot of ecstasy, a lot of ketamine. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I've had my, my bouts a little bit with alcohol since, but, you know, and smoking weed, but otherwise I, I really haven't touched any, anything since then, since 2006, April 19th, 2006. That's incredible. I mean, that's, that takes a lot of, of will, determination to, to have, have something that you feel like you're addicted to, to be able to basically set a new mindset to go down a different path. Because you can always I created a new addiction. What are you talking well, about? Well, no, I mean, but, but isn't that <laughs> so the truth? I mean, but isn't that the truth? I mean, you, you figure out, okay, I'm going to put all that into a whole different thing. And that becomes your addiction, which is great because those can be healthy addictions. You know, addiction is not bad. If you find a good one, that's, that's healthy. Cause then you can, I, don't you, know, I, you, I try to do everything in balance. Cause then I just went and I became like a workout alcoholic. Yeah. And I just like, I worked that's, out like this. That's non, what you do non, now, right? So now I have a good, pretty good balance. Okay, that's like, good. I don't work out that much now. Okay, so Sam, take me into your nightmare. What what happened? How did it happen? What was going through your mind when it was happening? Because I think I understand that you were kind of getting away from everything, and then you get slammed down with a SWAT team that shows up and kicks oh. in, and there you are. So I probably have a couple worst nightmares and it would be when I had the full raid. So basically um, they were my guy who I got. So I was kind of probably third on the list here. So my guy got busted um, and my ex. The guy you were just talking about. Brought 11 gallons of GHP that were left. Oops, which is bullshit. Basically tracked from my dealer's house to my house to try to find more people who he was dealing with. Cause they're trying, they're really looking for one other person. And, um, so they followed that and I actually was going to look at a loft down for, to move into in downtown LA. And I was walking out and my ex was still sort of in this picture, like his, some of his shit was at my house. I mean, that's a lot of what they found. 
and um, I was walking out and we were going to look at that. And I remember looking at um, a car that was in the driveway and it was like this chick who looked like, like it's just like a real, like she looked like a, like a, like a pot kind of like off the beach lesbian. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I had, and my best friend who lives in the apartment, he's like a mate. She's like a major piece in soul cycle now. It's crazy. She really flourished, mm-hmm. but she was my best friend. She was out of town. So I was like, why is this chick here? And there were two guys sitting on like the, like the patio when I was walking out and you have to have a key, like a code to get in. I was like, something is weird. It's like my gut knew, mm-hmm. like I knew. And I got in my car and was waiting for my ex. And all of a sudden it was like shotguns and guns and everything everywhere. They yanked me out of the car. They put me down, face down on the grass and screaming at me. Um, and that's where all that happened. Okay. So what were you thinking, Sam? Cause that's a wild thing that only people, only, uh, only real, you know, like, People see that stuff on TV and on movies, but it happened to you in an instant and you kind of felt it, but then it happened to you. What were you, what were you, what's going through your mind? Um, in the moment, I don't, I like when I'm like face on the ground, they were asking me so many questions. I yeah. was trying, what the fuck? Um, they were just asking me about guns in the apartment and they were asking me if there was anyone else in there. And then I heard them on the microphone or the whatever, the walkie-talkie, be like, this dog is out of control. We need to get, like, going on. And that's when I just started screaming, please, 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 please. So take me in there. Let me get my dog. Let me get my dog. I'll put the leash on my dog, and then I can get my dog to the neighbor or something. Don't Mm -hmm. hurt my fucking dog. Please, please, please. And I remember them being like, it looks like she's got syringes in here. And it turned out they were, like, the printer cartridge, like, refill syringes. And I'm like, I don't have syringes. And then I was like, and then they like realized what it was. So they did let me go. And then at that point, they let me go up there and they had my ex like wait down the street. He was whining like a little fucking bitch. Like I just took it. Like I knew, like I knew, like I, I deserved every bit of it. Like I was like, fuck, I, like I might, what am I going to do? Like I'm, I can be a pussy and cry about it or I fucked up. Yeah. And you're probably scared. Yeah, but I didn't like, I mean, I it had to be adrenaline ex- going through your veins a thousand miles an hour that this is all happening. Oh, yeah. So, well, then I got, they took me up there, like, totally, like, handcuffed down. I got down on my hands and knees and kind of got my dog. And then they put me on the porch. And I remember just thinking, like, oh, my God, like, two weeks earlier, I was just saying, like, I went to fucking Michigan. Like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? I need to stop doing this. And I, like, that's when I just, like, personally used and got rid of, like, all the stuff in my house for what my ex had. And I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And I, I mean, I don't, I think I was just in shock. Honestly, I don't, you know, I remember the guys just trying to have a conversation with me, like, what the heck? Like, and I just like, I don't even know, you know, like I, I fucked up. You know, I was, I was always, at that point, I was, I was really open about it. My guy had been. How old would you have been, Sam, out. at that time? I was 26. Okay. 26 and years old. Yeah. And then I remember getting in the car with my ex to go to the Beverly Hills jail and i remember he was like these handcuffs are too tight and he's like i mean just like a push like i was like you were done with him i'm like oh my god <laughs> you were done with him you had been done with him yeah right? now, like, now you were getting to see him in in true form man up yeah. like yeah. i mean not good seriously. and i was just shut my mouth and was like i fucking you know i did it and then i remember they put me in there and they're like your bail five hundred thousand dollars and that's when i was like oh now, that's where now it's like, real. 
And I was like, I don't have that kind of money. And why is it so much? Like, I've never heard of the drug thing. Be like, But it was because of the GHB. They had no idea how to even, like, do anything that. And I just went into that little cement box. And it was, like, the darkest cement ever. It was like a sardine can. And I was like, <laughs> like I, I don't have the money. I'm not going to call my parents. I fucking did it. I'm going to sit here. I don't know what's happening. And I'm going to hope someone talks to me at some point. Like mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't know. I just, and I just like lay down and then I eventually when someone like, I think they bought food, I was like, can I talk to someone please? Like I don't. And they basically wanted to know where another drug dealer was. It was my guy's girlfriend. Yeah. And I actually never met her. I mean, maybe in passing at a gig or something, but I, I knew nothing. I was like, I don't know her. I don't know anything. I can't like, you guys got my guy. Like, I mean, my guy been fully busted. He had 24 years. Like it was, like I, I wasn't snitching. Like it was pretty yeah, well known. Yeah, he was. That was already cooked. Right? And I got lucky. Like I didn't even get asked to snit. Like I mean, they asked me about her, but I didn't. That was that. And that was like the next little nightmare phase. And then the next nightmare phase was, you know, later down the line when I, um, you know, had to self surrender into L.A. County, and then when I had to self surrender into federal, which was actually not as scary as the L.A. County. I think I had a practice at that point. And then, but I mean, when I moved home, I was into back to Missouri and I had a house and was getting ready. And when my lawyer, the next night was when my lawyer called me and told me I was looking at 22 to life. And I remember just like sobbing to that degree where like, it's, you know, and just not, it's just like bubbling out of your face and tears are just like, it's like that ugly disgust. Like you can't cry. And I was in the shower and you can't even not even enough water will get the snot off your face because there's just so much shit coming out and you're just like, I'm like, pop. My parents had to come like literally pull me out of the shower and like, they, yeah. How was this, I mean, how was this all going down with your family and you coming back and you're basically being federally investigated? Well, after I got to, went to rehab, um, so I got, I I told them sort of everything after I got raided, kind of like sugar-coated, like, oh, I got into the wrong crowd. I just happened to be there. It was my ex, whatever bullshit. I still wasn't ready to be honest with myself or them. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I went into treatment, it, I, I told them everything. I yeah. told them everything. I told. I mean, they didn't, there were points where they were just like, oh, "We don't even want to know." Um, so I told them everything, and I basically said, "My best decision is my worst, so take it away." And I did whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. Got a job um, at Ann Taylor Law. They were super supportive through all of it because I got that job and then I got federally indicted. So they let me work there knowing I was going to prison and then they gave me the job right when I got out. Literally the day I got out, I had a job set up. Yeah. Um, wow. My boss there was incredible. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. And then I decided, you know, I worked at Support Dog. Um, How long did you know, it last, uh, Sam, with you being told, you know, you're being federally investigated to where you finally are dealing with a plea that you are realizing you're going to give yourself into the federal world. I don't know. So LA, so I did the LA County thing and I think that was six months and I did the 28 days. When I came home, I got my probation transferred, I think within a month or two, which is like incredible. I came home and I think I was, it was probably, I got indicted within a, you know, a mo- month or less of mm-hmm. probably being home. And I think the process was six months. I think they let us wait until after like the holiday. We went through the holidays 
I'm pretty sure I got through the holidays, and then it was after that. I don't know the exact month. I should remember that. But it wasn't it wasn't snowing, and it wasn't really really cold. I bet it was like April or May. Yeah. So I mean, why I get sick. maybe that's why I get sick every April or May. Yeah. Like my body knows. So where do you, I went? So so you yeah. find out that uh, they they give you a deal or a plea. Um, what was the, what was your plea? So for my federal, I got, um, 27 months and my money laundering and I got money laundering with my charge. So I got the 22 count, I got 21 counts removed. Um, it was crazy. When I went to go like find out my sentence, it was like four school districts were in the fucking courtroom. I was like, I was the, Look at it can happen to anyone. Yeah, I, I was made an example. Like it can happen to any of you, which is fine. Now looking back, I hope one of those kids realized like it can happen to anybody. Sure, like I come from a good family. Like I'm not, you know, yeah. um, and I did not get away with anything. My co-defendant got less time, and she didn't show up to court. She tested dirty. She didn't have a job. I mean, she like screwed up the whole pretrial stuff. And I did not, and she got less time than me. It's crazy so. how that happens, though. I mean, it happens over and over and over again of how it's not equal justice. It's whatever you get. And you can't even make sense of it because the justice system doesn't make any sense. So you try to figure it out, and there's no way to figure it out. You, it's just you deal with your stuff and try to get through your own thing, and you just have to step oh. over and around it and through it to get through it. Oh, my God. And, my, and for my dad to... For my, for my 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 mom was like the the rock. Yeah, she was. Like, she had this shit. She she helped us all. Yeah, and I remember thinking like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna become cold. I'm not gonna become like shut down and emotionless. I 100 percent was. Yeah, I remember like I got out and I I I mean I couldn't even like love my dog. Like I couldn't even like feel the emotion of my dog. Like I shut like whether you you're emotional but you're like not. It's so weird. Like the ability to like let let yourself love something again has always been really hard for me since all of this I've noticed. And, um, but my dad, like I remember I, so I got in trouble when I was in federal for my mom bringing in contraband contact lenses, which is stupid. Um, so I could, so I could work harder at the two, the two pennies an hour job that I had. I am a workhorse. (laughs) Like I worked my ass off when I was there. Two pennies an hour. I loved my job. I loved everything I did. I got to drive fucking equipment around. Well, let's talk, uh, let's talk about that, Sam. Cause you, so you voluntarily. But my dad could not wrap his head around the fact that you don't have control of anything. He'd be like, well, this is the rule. This is what happens when you get a strike. You're supposed to go in front of the board. You're supposed to do this. Why is it six months that you lost all this? It's supposed to be. I'm like, dude, yeah. I have no control. You have no control. You have to let it go. Yeah. And like, if anyone is going in and is listening to this and trying to figure out like, what do you do? Like what, just know it's not going to be anything that you think it is. And just, you got to go with it. So yeah. if you're a control freak and you want to be able to like, yeah, you're going to learn how to not be one. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's that's so interesting because, you know, if you are a control freak, you can, you know, people get institutionalized in prison because they try to control. You know, the, I eat here, I sit here, I walk this certain time, I go here to go, to all these different things, and they get into this really weird, bad, ugly routine to the point where some people get institutionalized where they get really afraid to get out. 
because they get into these weird structured routines. And the really weird thing is what you just said, Sam, you don't have any control at any given point. They can lock you down at any given point. The whole day changes any given point. Somebody screws up count and the whole place goes nuts and, and you don't know when you're getting out, but it's, it's, it's such a weird primitive environment that it's really, it is really hard for people to grasp what that feels like because when you go in, which we haven't talked about yet, but I guess when, did you voluntarily surrender, Sam, when you went? Yeah. yeah. And then they told me, they told me to come back. I was early or something. Nobody does that. <laughs> like, like, I mean, my God, who like, shows up like, early? Come back in two hours to get this little town, this little cafe in Greenville called Sam's Cafe, which is just like, add that to the thing. And it had like all these like weird little trinkets all over. And we ate like a BLT sandwich and came back. And then here we were. That is was, so crazy. You showed up early. I don't know that I did. Maybe I did. They I just weren't ready for you. I probably did. So what happened? Tell me, tell me about your first day going in. Um, so, you know, you self-surrender, they take everything, they check you in, they search you. Um, and I like, that's like, I've been in LA County. I got searched you like did, literally five yeah. times a day. Like, Cause that. I was only, yeah, I was the only level of trustee that got to leave. So like for me, bending over and coughing was like part of my life at that mm-hmm. point. And, um, you know, they check you in None, federal, federal, they're not assholes. You know, they, County, they just got an academy or they're just trying to prove themselves. Like federal guards are they, like a lot of them aren't. A lot of them are great people. Um, I mean, I swear, like I, if I could still have relationships with some of them, some of my bosses were like the best people that I had, you know, role models that I had. So no, I, 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 I agree. I, I think there's good and bad. I had a great boss at the food warehouse. Yeah. yeah. Well, you got the warehouse. It's a fancy job. I was and fancy. Then, um, Very fancy. I walked out and um, I found my co-defendant. That's all I needed to do. I just asked around and. What your um, co-defendant was at the same place as you? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I, that was my first thing. I found her, and basically, I'm getting like I'm getting chills, like just like thinking about it. And I remember, like you know, I get what happened. We're we're we were we were in a shitty game. Like we were doing stupid shit. I know the whole story of how it happened, you know, prior even to that. Like, we had talked. Um, she was scared. They, the feds lied to her. You know, they did what they did. And so she tried to wrap me out and set me up. But, like, she she thought I had already was doing it to her. Right, right. So I, I sort of, I mean, I get it. It's just a scary, it's drugs. You can't get mad at anyone. We're all doing something fucked up. Mm-hmm. And I just remember looking at her and like finding her and like her and I just like gave each other like the biggest fucking hug. And I was like crying and she was crying. And we were just, I was just like, like, I'm so glad you're here. I'm like, no shit. And she's like a very, she's like a big black lesbian. Like I was good. <laughs> I was good. I met all the right people. Like, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but like, I just, I was, I was good. No, I mean, it's um, good to have people in prison that kind of yeah. speak for you and, and look out for you. That's, we that's, hung out, yeah. And eventually I had my own like people, my own crowd. And I was like, at that point I was really by the book. Like yeah. I, I wanted to get in that drug treatment program. I was not breaking rules. I did not, I was living life for hundred, 110% by the rules. And if you told me to jump, I would jump. Um, what kind of job so, did you get in there when you were there? Uh, what kind of trouble did no, I? What kind of job did you get? Oh, my God. I was in landscape. Oh, okay. So I, I'm licensed to drive. This is like the best, like once a guy knows that I was in prison, this is like the best part. Like when I'm like, 
Yeah, I'm licensed to drive a teeny boom, a backhoe, a road grinder, a bulldozer, <laughs> a fat, uh, like a forklift. I mean, I literally, like, I was like, every day I'd be like, just teach me how to drive something else. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to put me in a backhoe. I was actually at the getting some mulch the other day, watching the guy doing the backhoe. I'm like, he's so good at it. He's like, what are you watching? I'm like, I know how hard that is. I'm actually licensed to do it, and I'm horrible at it. Yeah. It's really hard. Um, and then I ran the garden. So we had a massive garden that fed the camp and we fed the, um, the, uh, minimum security and Matt prison that was next to it. Yeah. Matt, I don't know it and so I, like, I would, I basically told him like, I, yeah, I ran, I drove lawnmowers growing up and like, I can all this shit. So I got to do like the big bat wing mowers that you see like yeah. on the farm. I would put my headphones on and just drive that thing all day long. And that was in like hog heaven. Um, I don't, I mean, I was just, and I ran the garden. I was so into it. I mean, I worked so like physically hard. I can't even tell you. Do you think, do you think that, um, because people have different strategies when they go to prison and some people completely shut down and don't do anything. I mean, they just, they, they basically just give up. You, you see two, I think there's two different types of people in prison. There's the ones that you see that literally are laying there like in a fetal position and, and have given up. And then there's the people who just are doing whatever they can to keep themselves busy and trying to eat time because that's what they're going to do. Cause they're not trying to, they don't want to lose themselves and want to keep being themselves. Do you think that was maybe one of your or strategies? They're just lazy, or they're just lazy manipulative assholes that like just yeah. sit around and let waste their yeah. minutes. Um, like, she I sounds mean, like I you were I, really I busy. If I, had a kid, I think if I had a kid, I might've been a little bit in the fetal position, but um, I, you know, I was lucky. I didn't have a kid. It was exactly the life break I needed. I, um, uh, you know, you have I, at that point, like I was, I didn't, I was 26. I had no bills, no nothing. I went in and I was like, well, I'm going to work out as much as I can. Which yeah. I did, like physically, like it's insane how much I worked out. Yeah. And I am going to just like work my ass off and stay as busy as I can, as busy as I can. So I can sleep. I had this like fear that I wouldn't be able to sleep. Well, I've never napped so much in my entire life yeah. and I've never slept so much in my entire life. It made up for the like, however many years I was doing math where I pretty much didn't sleep. But I mean, I like, I mean, I can't take a nap if you paid me now. And it was like, I remember like just napping and reading books and then working every second I could and working out and just, I created structure. Like I would get up every morning yeah. at what, you know, one count in the morning, like four thirty or something. And then I, as soon as they'd be done with count, which is where they count all of us, mm-hmm. I would go to the gym, I'd work out, I'd come back, I'd shower, I'd get my coffee with my coffee mate creamer and the microwaves that we all use. And everything was like the amount of toxicity now that I have from a microwave, I can only imagine. And then I would just, and then I'd go to work and I'd go to landscape and, you know, I, my day was completely structured and that's what I have to do in my life now. Yeah. And ever since I got sober and it was like that before I got sober, when I was a rower, whenever, like I have to have structure structure and it doesn't matter what environment you put me in. I've learned I could have nothing. I could have two outfits, but I will create structure out of whatever that environment is. I don't care. Like I did it when I was in rehab. I did it. Like it's just how I've always been. Like I'm very structured. I'm very organized. The reason I got to Michigan is because it's not because I'm smart as hell. I'm, I'm, I have common sense. And I'm organized. Yeah. So I think common sense by far can trump a lot. Oh, it can, especially if you use it right. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I did get busted. I mean, I certainly wasn't that smart, but. So, Sam, there's hard days in prison, too. How did you tackle hard days? How did you get through a hard day in prison? You know, you cry in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, where at, at the camp, you can, the hard days, you can, you have people you can talk to. I mean, they were all women going through the same shit, and you find your little niche. My cellmate or roommate or whatever you want to call it, she was like, the one that I had for the longest, I mean, she was like my rock. I could talk to her about anything. Um, so, you know, I, I find someone and I talk to them or I, you know, I didn't really do a lot of like calling home and crying. I didn't call friends. I call friends just to be like, I miss you, you know, just yeah. talk to them. Make a connection. Um, yeah. I mean, I do remember calling my ex. Um, Cause you know, you start working, you go through this drug program, you start working through like some deep emotional yeah. shit. Like, really hardcore stuff and i remember like there were a couple times i'd call him and i'd be like do you understand like because i went to rehab we weren't living together at this point but when i ended up checking into rehab um the girl he was living with was a korean prostitute which is not even really part of the story but she ended up trying to kill herself and this is the day it was like i'm like maybe a week or two into rehab i got a phone call and i called him and i was telling him like you should go you need to go to treatment like this is going to change your life forever like this is you're not okay like and then he's like well jenny was i came home and she was done a bunch of drugs and i got her in the shower and she had shit and pissed all over herself and like the girl was dead and he's like i got her heart beating again well he never called the fucking 911 right so this girl dies and like that was like you know you realize it's like those are the kind of things you just like i remember just having to process that and that's kind of like what like i call him i'd be like you get it did you get it? Like that could have been me. Like it's like you, you like he just did so many fucked up things. So it sounds like and you. It sounds I get like angry. yeah, but it sounds like Sam that you got a lot out of the uh, the drug program in, in prison. Yeah, I mean yeah. rehab, any of that meetings. Yeah, on that meeting, um, you know, I mean, I got out of you know L.A. County. I had nothing but free time, so I'd hang out with the woman I live with. But then I just go to I created like. You know, my meetings were my day. Yeah. Go to different meetings. And I, you know, I remember one guy at a meeting one time was like, if I knew you were this little blonde girl in an apartment in LA selling all these drugs, I would have, when I was a drug addict, I, he's like, I would have come up and probably fucked killed your ass mm-hmm. or robbed you. Yeah. You know, it's like you hear shit like that and you're like, wow. You know, I'm just like, I was like down in downtown LA and these warehouses and like Skid Row. It's like, yeah, dangerous things could happen. Yeah. But I think it's uh, it's really good to hear, like, because I always think I'm going to get a different perspective, you know, if a female and a male talk about prison, but really it's it's pretty much the same. And, you know, you, it's cool how you went ahead and I always felt good. Like I got forklift certified and learned how to drive this big truck and all these other things. It kind of makes you feel good when you're doing something in a bad environment, but you feel like you're you're learning something new. Like you're not, today wasn't a waste. You know, today maybe was a win. You know, I, I did something that I didn't know I could do. I probably would never have done it if I wasn't here. So I did something. I can say that it wasn't a waste, but I didn't waste the day. I was always worried about becoming a waste. Just, you know, I've got to use this. I got to somehow use this time, make it work. But it sounds like you structure your day sounds so, so similar to mine because I was 
I mean, I was so about working out. I was so about working, trying to stay busy, so about reading, you know, just trying to keep my mind active so I was worn out at the end of the day. Because they turn the lights off at 10 o'clock. It's time. It was like little kids. You know, oh, lights are off. Like o'clock every night or seven. Yeah, I, lights are off. You know, you're done. Yeah. And I would read some too at night because I was used to watching TV. I, I grew up watching TV, going to sleep. And so I had no TV. So I read, which was good. It's a lot better than watching TV. Oh, I read so many books. I've never been able to read in my life. Like never, like I couldn't put well, I mean, I guess if I was doing math, I took some Adderall or something yeah. I could, but I could never focus long enough. Well, I, I'll tell you in prison. You found time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't and know. I just, read so I think, many books. And I think too, Sam, it's a real escape. You know, you read a good book, you feel like you're, t- you're transported away oh. from this bad place. And my mom, uh, kudos to her, would send me like the best, most legit books. I was like the go-to girl for the yeah. book. So like, I still have some of them. Like I kept some of the best ones and you open it up and you'll see the list of everybody's names because you'll do a wait list. Everybody's like, well, I want to read that book. Like when I got yeah. oranges and black, everybody signed <laughs> that book. And it was like, everybody's like going to read that. You know. So your your parents ended up to be supportive and great out of this whole thing, which I think is big. I mean, that's you want that. A lot of people, gosh, there were so many people that I was around that they lost everything. I mean, of course, they lost their businesses and their money and everything else. But to see somebody losing their families, you know, and just doing this all on their own always was like, man, I had a lot of gratitude for the fact that that didn't happen to me, but I saw a lot of people that it did happen to. And I think the time's different that way too. Yeah. So it, it's, it's really cool that that experience, even though all that happened, your mom was a rock and everybody kind of came around and, and supported. And I think that's good. So tell, yeah. tell me, tell me, Sam. So you, you go through this whole thing. You're, you're a, two or three months from getting out, what you, what's going through your mind? You're two or three I months from the whole door. Oh, I tried to think about it. I didn't think, I try not to think about it. So it just blocked it out. Like, those people who like count the days, like, um, I, you know, I think I counted periods, like my period. Uh-huh. I didn't <laughs> and do like, that. And I, and I like barely got a period when I was there, I think, but like, I think I'd be like, okay, well, I got, because I, that seemed like the most rational, like, oh my God, just like two more periods and I'm out. Yeah, cool. see, I didn't, that is something different between you and I. There I didn't count my so time that way. Right. <laughs> um, and then, so as I got closer, I think, you know, I just was excited to put like normal, like real, my, what's my out, like I remember that like, you get to see your outfit that your family sends in. That's so like, exciting. Oh God. I mean, it was like, it was like, like the Target black, like sweatpants but it's not like your grays or your greens right i remember like you know and then you're like who, who am i going to give all my stuff to like you have all this shit that you that's a big deal though oh it is like because i had some like i had like really good sweatpants and like you know um and so like who are you going to give all your grades to and you know and then what's what am i going to do for that time before i have to go to halfway house like i remember i met my my parents took that my parents showed up with my dog. Oh, that's so great. So I'm walking out and my dog's out in the parking lot, like running around. And my dog was like, it was, my dog was the witness to all the shit that I went through. Yeah. Nobody else saw. Yeah. My dog saw it all. Everything. Went through all and I mean, I just like, Broke down oh my probably. God, so excited oh. to see my dog. And then I wanted bread company bagels. And I mean, I don't know. I just, you know, I tried to not really talk about it because, you know, there's other people not getting out. Like you can't get, you can get excited in front of certain people. But if you get inside it and stuff from other people, then you're, you know, you'll get shit. They'll give you heat. Like, so you just, 
I mean, still, you just kind of keep your head down. You, you don't act excited, but you're like, fucking, yeah. Yeah. I, I think know. it's what, but you know, you, just, you learn, yeah. you learn that you learn who you can be open to and have conversations with. And then other people, you know, you're, you close up and, you know, you're, I mean, you're nice, but you don't, you're not sharing everything with everybody in prison. Yeah. And, but the thing is, you're also not done. Like I, I was getting out, but I wasn't really getting out. Like where I went was worse. Yeah. And uh, I think that's I, such, I, that, just, I almost should have finished my time there Yeah, because I got out and I was at this halfway house in downtown St. Louis Yeah, and I was with the state, state halfway house. So we're blended with federal and state. So it's just a shit show of people. It's disgusting. You, you know, I mean, I was really lucky. Like I had the job set up, so I was able to leave really quickly. I had uh, my old car, like I got my car back, so then yeah. I ended up getting a car pretty quickly. Um, but like you're there for a minute before you can even do any of that. And I remember you, all you can do is go outside and like you get an hour, every hour you can go out and like have a cigarette or something. So I started smoking again. It was like, it was, just no, like, it was more out. locked. It's more locked down and more horrible than anything that I experienced in prison. And I think that's an interesting point too, Sam, because you, you have this feeling like you've never had in your life getting out. You know, your my, my family was right there and we hugged and we couldn't believe it. And we felt so accomplished that we'd gotten through it all. And we rushed out of that parking lot. And then your mind starts thinking, Oh man, I gotta go to this. I gotta go. I gotta go to this place. It's going to be really bad. I've heard all about it. It's going to be terrible. And then, and then you're there and then it's worse than where you went. It's a weird yeah, it thing. Was, it was pretty bad, but I got, you know, I got out of there. I, you know, I, I got that common sense. So I had, I got myself a job at Antenna Loft. I got myself a job at Support Dogs, which is a drug, um, the, the dog program that was in the prison. So I got connected with them. And I was one of the girls. And I was like, listen, I was That's like, great. I'll come be a, I'll wash the kennel. So at night I watched the kennel. Yeah. And then during the day I worked at Antenna Loft. And then I basically told them that I was, cause I missed working out. And I was like, I have to find a way to like get this into here. And I remember um, talking to a guy at a gym, a gym where my parents were training. And I basically, I told them that I was going there for, you know, educational purposes to become a certified personal trainer. So I basically signed up to get certified as a personal trainer. So I would do that when I was at support dogs, I would work on that. And then I would go. And then, so when I would go to, you know, study, I would just go to the gym and work out with them. But I was, you know, learning how to train mm -hmm. people. So as long as I called and did all that, so I would be gone. I would be gone. But once I got my structure, I'd be gone all day. Yeah. So I'd go from one thing to one thing and my parents would drive me or I'd take the Metro or I would, um, I eventually got my car and then I got certified, you know, and then you get eventually then, right, you go to your house on house arrest. And by then, oh God, remember taking a shower without flip flops. Oh, I had like, a really weird thing, Sam, where I wore the flip-flops. I know. I wore the flip-flops into the bathroom, and Julie, my wife, says, what are you doing? I said, um, I don't know. I didn't right. realize. It was so weird because, I i mean, I love taking a shower. Like, like, she says, what are you doing? I, yeah. Oh, that first shower, I think I was in the shower, just like, awesome. and then a bath. And then to be submerged in water, I was like, oh, you know, I was a swimmer my whole life. I was like, God, I cannot wait to just be like submerged in water. Um, Isn't it funny that it's little things like that? You know, it's people are like, wow, what's it feel like being out? I like taking a shower without flip flops. What? 
Yeah, right. And then I didn't have to wear the underwear that like, like literally like rolled up. Like, I mean, like granny underwear, right? And I would just like roll. I don't even know. Well, so, um, so okay, so you get through all that and you get certified trader, you get it. I mean, what I really love about your story is, is that, man, you get knocked down, Sam, and you just get up and you keep stepping and, you know, getting out of prison is not easy. It's not easy because you have so many. You're getting a job with a felon. Uh, it's felon just a felon. like somebody so tattooed it on your forehead. But you went through all that and you, you got yourself a job and then you worked basically two jobs to get the certified deal going. I mean, that's so fantastic that you channeled all that energy and made all that happen. So doing all that, what, what are you doing now? Because I, I know I see you on CFIT living and you've got all these followers. It looks like you've got your life in the go zone. What's what, what is Sam doing now? That's social media, sweetie. Okay. <laughs> we, all, we all know that. I'm so jealous. I'm like the old man looking at, wow, how do all these people get these followers? <laughs> Dude, so much work. So yeah, I feel like, like I'm 85 years old when I look at that. <laughs> I know. Um, well, it's a whole nother job. I, it's like, I have like 10 jobs just because of <laughs> social media. So I, um, I got out, um, actually with the personal training, I started just with the personal training and within my second year I was making six figures. That's great. And I was like, I'm buying a house. I don't, I, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to buy a house probably in the next year. And that's what's going to happen. And that's exactly what I did. And then, um, I was really sick. So, I, you know, I was one of those people who was at the gym. I worked out, I ate perfect, and I was really sick. My hormones were jacked up. My stomach was jacked up. I could not lose weight. I kept gaining weight. I was puffy. I felt like I was in someone else's body. Um, in prison, I had like horrible cystic acne, which I've never had to visit in my life. Like, so I, I was not well. Um, and it turned out I had like, my hormones were off. My adrenals were off. I had tons of food sensitivities. I had parasites. And I t did a whole, I went to all the doctors under the sun and I finally ended up with like a functional practitioner and that changed my life. So then I got certified basically to be a functional um, diagnostic nutritionist. So it's sort of like functional medicine. So I run functional labs to find, find the underlying, underlying like root causes of people's, you know, symptoms or health problems. And then without band-aiding it with a bunch of medication, we fix it. So That's interesting. Uh, it's almost like a doctor, yeah. holistic doctor. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I just don't have an MD. My yeah. dad wishes. Yeah. Um, so but it, you came yeah. through it through a personal experience. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I was sick. I oh. was sick. That's how I know how to do everything I do. Like I, I've been through it. I still go through it. Um, I still have to run labs on myself. I still have, you know, periods of time where I get sick again. Um, I just know how to fix it. So, and, so Sam, I, how does so, that work though? Like, do you, do you go to people's homes and meet with them? Do they come see you? Do you have a place that you go? Like what, what, how do you, how does this work? It's, it's nationwide. Yeah. Um, so I, so during COVID, I kind of like pulled away from the personal training and I was like, this isn't going to work with COVID. Like, so I just sunk a lot of money into my functional, um, my, like on my functional uh, nutrition business and I automated it and, um, started, doing campaigns and programs and 
challenges. And so if people don't know what automation is, like all those emails that you get people harassing you, it's basically, I'm not sending you an email every time. It's like a system runs it all. Mm -hmm. So I can take on a ton of people. And that's just been sort of my priority now is my personal training. I have some clients, but not a ton. I'm very set, very small amount of hours. Um, I'll take on -on one-on-ones for sure. So that's easier to schedule. And, um, you know, I just, I was ready for a change. I needed to like really stimulate my brain. So that's when I, so now that's what I do. So I, they work with me, they set up a discovery call. So I do a free 45 minute discovery call and we talk all about their health from the day they were born. And I find out as much as I possibly can about their health history and basically tell them how I feel I can help them. And if we, if I feel like it's a good match or not, if they aren't a level 10 committed, I won't work with them. Um, that's sort of what I'm doing right now. And yeah, I'm all over Instagram. Yeah, you are. How does somebody, how does, tell, tell us, Sam, how does somebody get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of Sam? Um, I, Instagram is keep it living. So mm-hmm. it's S-E-F-I-T-T, uh, living. living. Yeah. Not, it's living, all one word. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah not, not a C. And then I'm on www.cfitpt.com as in like S-E-E-F-I-T-T.com. And then I'm on Samantha Lander on Facebook, CFIT on Facebook. I'm all over. Yeah, I know. You've got to go I'm on. on. I told on. you, you're going to have to help me because you got to help. You got to help me because I, I need help on that. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I do. Yeah. I have an IG live on every bi-weekly on Tuesdays. Um, but yeah, it is. Instagram's a whole other job or social media. It's a lot of work, but it pays off. Sam, I'm fascinated by how you've done all this. I, what would you say after going through all that you've been through? I mean, what, I mean, you could write a book, you could have a podcast, you could do all this stuff. What's your biggest takeaway from what you have experienced to impart to the audience? Oh my God. My biggest takeaway. Well, I think that, you know, for me, I, 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 I hate, I'm not like, I'm kind of like humble when it comes to like talking about myself, but I'm strong as fuck. Like, I know I've been through shit, like even just stuff I put my own self through and I have a lot of experience in a lot of areas. And I know that even if any, if I met someone on the street, I could probably have like the, the amount of empathy I can have towards someone's situation, I think is really important when it comes to meeting people and knowing people. So, you know, I've, I've gone through infertility. I've been through divorce. I'm a single mom. I've been in prison. I've been an addict. I've, you know, I've had every freaking gut related sickness. I've had, you know, mold toxicity. I've had metal toxicity. Like, you know, like I've been through it. So I think, you know, my biggest takeaway is like, I, you know, I've had all these experiences. And so I have this great little bucket that I can use to help others you know, and, and make it part of my, like my, my livelihood. Yeah. Well, you're not, I think from everything that you just said, you're you're not, even if something scares you, you're willing to step into it. And that's, that's a big deal. A lot of people get stuck on that one. They, if it scares them or they feel it's out of their comfort zone, they'll refuse to step into it. And I, what I see from you, which is so interesting because it's, it's not common is it, you have every single life stage been able to be knocked sideways, but step back in. And 
that's as long as you keep stepping, you can get to where you want to go. And I think that's a big deal. Yeah. The mom part's hard for me. Mom part. <laughs> oh, we haven't even talked about that. Oh, uh, well, it's hard. I, I, I'll just tell you that it's fucking hard as hell. It's a hard. It's probably one of the hardest. Infertility. Be uh, going through the infertility treatment was harder than prison. Yeah. I will tell you that. Yeah. Um, a hundred percent. And being a mom is really, really hard. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a bad mom, but it's just hard for me. I'd rather I had finally like had an epiphany one day, and I was like, okay. If I'm working and making money, I'm a better mom. And that doesn't make me a bad mom. I'm just not a stay-at-home mom. And I'm not a very mommy mom mom. So I can have him go to a nanny and do his thing. And I'll do my mom time. But I will make money. And I'll be a better mom. Yeah. If I'm like, can't run my business and I'm trying to take care of it. It's, it's just How old good. is he? He's five. He's five. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's an active I'm, I'm age. Serious. Dude. <laughs> I knew it. he was so good. He was so good. He's still the, the sweetest little thing in the world. But uh, you know, there's a lot of me in this kid, and I was kind of hoping there wouldn't be. But, I mean, no, he he'll be driven. Like, you've got. I mean, Sam, you've got so many good qualities that people hope to have because if you have those qualities, you can really make things happen. And you're what you're doing is you're using your experience to help others. And, and using those experiences, you have a lot of different experiences so you can relate on a lot of different levels, which is uh, effective, very effective. Sam, anything I didn't ask you? You've done really good. So I, I, I no, hope. You know I have a lot I can talk about. <laughs> All right. Sam, I, <laughs> I really appreciate you being on. It's fun having females on because, you know, your story – you know, there's everybody's story of, of going to prison and living the life before prison, in prison, out of prison. They're different, but it's always interesting to get the female perspective. So I, I appreciate you coming on and doing that because I think people can take away nuggets of things that you talked about today and incorporate it into whatever, the, whatever dark patch you get into. There's things you can take away. Uh, for everybody, loving the likes and, and subscriptions. If you feel like it, leave a review. Um, on Apple or um, Spotify, my book, Nightmare Success. If you haven't gotten it or you need a book, Nightmare Success, we're on YouTube. We're gonna see, we're gonna see Sam on YouTube. It's this is this, this is, is filming right actual, here. <laughs> this is my first actual like video podcast. I've been on so many podcasts. And I love it because I don't have to like. I was like, I'm trying to like schedule in and getting a shower today. I was like, I'm shower. <laughs> Sam asked me if she needed a shower. I said, Yeah, you're gonna be on TV. It's on YouTube. You look great, Sam. Sam, thanks thanks so much. Uh, It's been great talking to you today. Nightmare success in and out, everybody. Thanks for being here.